Looking for new threads? Well, we've got you covered at the Music Is Live podcast official merch store over at tpublic.com. Whether it's t-shirts, baseball tees, hoodies, coffee mugs, travel mugs, phone cases, or onesies for your infant rockers and metalheads, you can find everything you're looking for over at the Music Is Live podcast merch store at tpublic. Go to my link tree at l-i-n-k-a-t-r dot e-e forward slash Music Is Live podcast and get your merch today. Buy my stuff and thanks for your support. TerraNut is proud to offer you a natural nut bar chock full of healthy fats, minerals, and protein that meet your demands. Go to their website, www.terranut.com. You can order from them directly, and they will ship it to you. Use my coupon code, LUMAVS, and you will get a 25% discount on your first order. TerraNut Superfood Snacks, www.terranut.com. Don't forget to use coupon code, LUMAVS, at checkout. Fuel your life. You're listening to the Music Is Life podcast with your host, Lou Mabs, on the Rat Sound Review Network. He was created out of violence and horror. He exists only to destroy the evil around him. He can't be reasoned with or bargained with. He can't be stopped. So if you've been bad, look out. It's your worst nightmare come true, the Toxic Avenger. If you've been bad, he'll get you good. Rated R, under 17, not admitted without... Starts Friday at theaters everywhere. Music is Live podcast. This is your host, Lou Mavs. Check out everything you need to know about the show over at musicislivepodcast.com. Recently, I had the pleasure of being on Just the Cheese, Please with Tara J and Adam, and we spoke about The Toxic Avenger, which was released in 1984, and it was my gateway into the world of becoming a trauma fan. For those of you that might not have heard of Just the Cheese, Please, they're one of the new shows that we have on Roundside Review. They talk about cheesy 80s films. Well, to me, you can't get more fun, cheesy, or entertaining than trauma. So why not talk about the film that made me a trauma fan, which was the original Toxic Avenger. Released in 1984, directed by Lloyd Kaufman. I'm very grateful that I had this opportunity to be on their show. Tara's been on mine before, and her and Adam will be on again with Denise, where we're going to discuss our top 10 favorite 80s film soundtracks. Again, keeping it 80s movie and 80s music related. But until then, please enjoy this episode. If you're watching it, there's no video to go along with the audio. However, I am going to throw on a montage of photos and clips from The Toxic Avenger and anything trauma related. And if you're listening to it, again, thank you for being a subscriber. If you haven't subscribed, we're available on all audio streaming platforms. If you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe, smash the like button, as the kids say. And thanks for engaging the show. Again, please go subscribe to Just the Cheese, please, as well. And also, please subscribe to Ratsaw Review. Again, available on YouTube and all streaming platforms. Check you later. Thanks for watching or listening. And remember, all art is valid. Cheers.
Hello, everybody, and welcome to Just the Cheese, Please. I, of course, am Tara J, and I'm here with my co-host, Adam. How are you doing, Adam? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. And we have a very special guest with us today from our dysfunctional family, I guess, of sorts, of <laughs> Rat Salad Network, Lou Mavs. Welcome, Lou. Ladies and gentlemen, how do you? <laughs> We're glad to have you. Lou also has his own podcast, Music is Life with Lou Mavs, and he's also on the Rat Salad Network, so go check that out. So how's everybody today? I feel like it's been a while. Well, this is my first time. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are talking about Toxic Avenger, um, directed by Lloyd Kaufman in 1984. A little different from what we usually do here. We don't usually do trauma films, but they definitely they definitely have their own cheesiness. So it, it goes along with the theme for sure. Oh, it, it, hon, it's Mortendella, mozzarella, and polio all wrapped up into one. Ah, scusi, babbit a boopy, babbit a boopy, babbit a babbit a. It's definitely cheesy, but we have not done a trauma film yet on this show. So this is going to be interesting. This was Lou's pick as the guest. We let him choose the movie. So we're going to let you get started with your take on this. I know you do have a history with trauma films. You really, really like them. You enjoy them. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I don't just love them. I actually interned for them at right. one point. This was summer of 98. I just graduated high school and it was the summer right before I started at St. John's University. And I was enrolled as a communications major. And I thought, you know, it'd be cool if I could just get my foot in the door, get some experience under my belt. This way it's like when I go into college, I'll have better preparation. I'll have some kind of knowledge. I knew that Troma's original headquarters was on 733 and 9th Avenue in Hell's Kitchen. And I grew up in Astoria, Queens. So I actually went went to the trauma building and asked, are you accepting internships? And they said, sure, we're always accepting production assistance. We're actually in the middle of doing a film this summer. Would you be interested in joining? And I said, sure, no problem. I didn't ask them what the pay was because there was no pay in it to begin with. <laughs> it um, really was an internship then. It really was an internship. And I tell you, I learned a lot about pre-production into a film. At the time, I was working part-time to pay for books for college. When it came time to actually shoot the film, uh, the film is Terra Firmer, by the way, which was released in 1999, 2000, around that time. When it came time to actually do production on the film, this took the entire month of August and and it was shot in Greenpoint, Brooklyn and at Pratt Institute, also with some shots in New York City. But I didn't realize that I had to be on location every day at a mm -hmm. certain time and I couldn't take time off my job. So I ended up having to leave right before production started. Oh. But the experience was really cool. I learned about making phone calls, doing press kits, learning about script revisions and things like that. In a way, it was film school outside of film school. Right, right. And I actually ran into Lloyd Kaufman at the 2016 Comic-Con. He remembered me and we actually struck up a nice conversation. I have a photo with him on my Instagram. The man is nuts, but he's a visionary <laughs> and I respect the hell out of him. So. He's definitely interesting. I lived in Queens for a while like after I graduated from St. John's where we know each other from. I kind of remember there being a studio there. That wasn't them. They moved to Long Island City in okay. 2011. They sold okay. the original trauma building in Hell's Kitchen and they purchased the new one. This is on 3640 11th Street in Long Island City. Okay. Yeah. I live like right on the border of Astoria and Long Island City. Really? So like basically like down the road, like I was like right by the East River. So like mm -hmm. down the road was Long Island City and literally like down up the road was, was Astoria. So it was right there. But I feel like I remember seeing 
Kaufman Studios like on one of the signs or something like to get off. Okay, so Kaufman Studios, that's been around since the early 20th century. The lot that you're thinking of is actually where the old Paramount films were shot, including the first two Marx Brothers films, The Coconuts and Animal Crackers. Okay, that is actually where they shoot Sesame Street right now. So Kaufman Astoria Studios. And Troma Films, it's not the same call. It's not the same thing. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously not if we're talking about Sesame Street and, you know, some of the things that this guy does. So, nope. All right. Well, thanks for clearing that up for me. (laughs) I did not realize that, but I do remember the sign going into Manhattan, seeing that sign a lot, you know. I was confused about the same thing as well until I realized Kaufman is union, Troma is not union. Makes sense. So this is the first time I have seen this movie. I thought maybe I had seen it somehow. And I don't know how I hadn't seen it. I'm going to film school, hanging out with, you know, you and other people that love trauma films that we, you know, we knew in school. But you definitely remember, you don't forget this, but I did see the play when it was disturbing. (laughs) And there's definitely a lot of stuff that you could never, ever, ever do now. Like there's just no way that you could get away with it. You know, obviously the girl, the blind girl is very funny. I don't remember what, I don't really remember her name. I think Sarah, right? Is her Sarah name? was her name, yeah. She's hilarious. Um, <laughs> the guy Bozo or whatever his name was. It's like uh, Bozo, yes. <laughs> I mean, he's kind of like the, the actual human version of Tweak. <laughs> From- <laughs> <laughs> he's just like, <laughs> like freaking out all the time. I was like, this guy reminds me of Tweak. <laughs> So there were definitely some funny parts, some incredibly disturbing parts. Adam, what did you think? Had you had you seen this before or no? No, no. This is one of those movies I knew that- a lot about um, just through osmosis, you know, through growing up through that age and having friends who were sort of into trauma films. But I had never actually seen it, never had a real desire to see it, I guess, <laughs> because I kind of knew what it was. Right. I mean, this movie did not surprise me at all. It was the exact tone I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that I saw it, but. I probably would not seek it out again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I guess let's start from the beginning. A very good place to start. My first thought was it kind of seems like an 80s dating video when they're showing they're like, this is Melvin or whatever. You know, they're kind of talking about it, the voiceover. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it was just kind of goes into the weirdest gym I've ever seen in my life. It was just... What I, I don't know what was going on in that gym. It was very strange. Like Tromaville sucks. The people are terrible. <laughs> they are the worst human beings ever in this place. So yeah, we've got this like super weird gym where all kinds of very strange things are going on. There's there's people jump roping in the there's people jump roping in the aisles, people kickboxing in the corner. Yeah, and like wearing like little teeny tiny banana hammocks. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's, stuff there's two guys in the speedos. I mean, it was just people are smoking cigarettes as they're working out. It was just a, a lot of weird, a lot of weirdness going on. It helps with the breathing. Yeah, obviously, <laughs> open up those lungs, you know, while you're doing those pull ups. For sure. Before I begin, I just want to say I did see the Toxic Avenger musical with the late great Nick Cordero in the role of Melvin Toxie. Mm -hmm. And that was the only time I got to see him in Hell's Kitchen at the New World Stages. Mind you, Hell's Kitchen today is not what Hell's Kitchen was back in the day. So Hell's Kitchen today has been very Mm Disney-fied, but he was phenomenal. And it's a shame that we lost him in uh, early 2020. So rest in peace, Nick Cordero. Yeah, so this film, parts of it were shot in Brooklyn. Parts of it were shot in Boonton, New Jersey. And the end of the film was actually shot in Staten Island. That makes sense. So they kept it very tri-state. All the actors are New York actors. Some of them have never acted before in their lives. 
You don't and say. And some of them have never acted again <laughs> since then. Surprise. Wow. You know, it's and funny. I, I agree with Tara that the blind girl was actually really funny. I thought she was really good in it. Andre Miranda. Yeah, she was great. She played it with a uh, an innocence mm-hmm. and a certain kind of over-the-top <laughs> je ne sais quoi yeah. that came off as adorable and not annoying. In a lot of 80s films, the protagonist girlfriend kind of comes off as like the damsel in distress and right. it comes off as kind of like, oh God, not again. But this time she was funny. She was independent. I'm gonna take you. I wasn't always blind. I was in this car accident two years ago. I thought it was the end of my life. But I learned how to cope. I can do things as well now as I could before. Some things even better, like cooking, for instance. My taste buds have become so sensitive. And I've really developed a flair for adding just the right spices to my food. You must be very hungry after that long walk. Oh, there you are. Here's your sandwich. Uh, thanks. I hope you like it. I don't have much in the house. I usually eat out. Sort of. And it was great that she <laughs> fell in love with Toxie. Well, independent to, to a point. Right. You know, mm-hmm. Rest in peace, Gary the dog. <laughs> oh, um, you know how I am. I was like, no! <laughs> don't worry really I, I, I know the trick to that but we'll get to when we talk about the taco <laughs> scene but anyway the way lloyd kaufman approaches the city of tromaville is a very stan brackage type mentality my mistake it wasn't stan brackage it was preston sturgis it's supposed to be like any town usa and it's his own world created of these silly over-the-top characters some lovable a lot not as we'll get into the film. Mm-hmm. And not, yeah. his his key to shooting his scenes, fill the scene up with as many people as you can that are willing to work for free just to be in a movie. Because <laughs> then it looks bigger than what it really is. I think the budget I read was like 500,000. Mm-hmm. He's yes. really the master of making something out of nothing. If you think about movies, that's an incredibly small budget. That is so crazy. I mean, not that it looked so great, but there was some, you know, I was like, this is pretty decent for that that amount of money, honestly. The production value was actually impressive considering the budget. Yeah, we've done exactly. a lot, We've done a lot of movies that had less production value and had bigger budgets and were backed by bigger studios. In the millions, absolutely, for sure. I was looking for boom mics. I was looking for reflections. I didn't see any of that. The cinematography was good. I mean, there was a lot of centralized faces looking down the barrel of the camera, but I assume that that was more of a stylistic choice mm-hmm. more than like just not knowing how to frame shots because it seemed like the cinematographer knew what he was doing. Sound design I thought wasn't great, but I also think maybe that may have been stylistic choices rather than budget issues. You could tell a lot of the sound was on in post and it was obvious, like very obvious, especially his voice. Right. Because I didn't understand what was going on at first when they, after he turned into the Toxic Avenger, I didn't understand what his voice was because he's like... <laughs> Making all these like horrible monster noises. And then he's like, don't worry, don't worry, I won't hurt you. <laughs> what? So it's like, maybe they can't hear him. Maybe he's just thinking this in his head. But no, they can hear him. And that was weird. So I don't know what the reason was behind that choice, really. That part threw me off a little bit. I think that was on purpose. I think the juxtaposition of his 
monster noises and his very proper speaking was yeah, like, it's like perfectly speaking kind of funny you know but it just it was very clear where the loops dialogue or the adr was as opposed to where the dialogue was caught live or the sound was caught live so i don't know if that was also on purpose or if that was just a production issue that was on purpose. Okay. Oh, was it, well, because a lot of the screaming was definitely done. You can see, I mean, they pre, the people's expressions didn't match what was coming out of their mouth. You know, so a lot of times when they were yelling where they were like, oh, leave me alone or whatever they were saying, like, but they were like, their mouth didn't match what they were saying. So like, like you could tell a lot of it was done in post for the sure. The biggest joke about trauma films is consistency is that they never seem to do well with the C word. Not one to use the C word, huh? What? Continuity. What you talking about? None of these shots will match. I don't think anyone's gonna notice. And that's why you work here. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so we have this guy, Melvin, who's getting picked on. And they're just so terrible. And I know it's bullies and it's the 80s. And I feel like people are, I don't know if people are meaner or what, but like in movies, they always show people are so horrible. And I, you know, you feel bad for this little doofy guy. And apparently he didn't play Toxic Avenger. It was like a different guy, right? It wasn't the same actor. It was not. The yeah. uh, actor he all of a played... sudden got really tall. Yeah, I was going to say, did you think that was the same guy? I mean, I didn't, I didn't know that they would change him, but obviously it was not the same guy. Well, they had to because Melvin, however tall he is, five foot five, he can't make a hideously deformed creature of superhuman size and strength out of someone who's five foot five, unless you're replacing with someone who's six foot three. Yeah, so he's definitely taller. So Mark Torgel was the actor who played little Melvin. After the transformation, Mitchell Cohen Mitch took Cohen, over the right. role of Toxic Avenger. And the voice was provided by an actor named Ken Kessler. The only other film I know that he did, he was involved with a film called Red Zone Cuba. Mistake with Ken Kessler. He was not in Red Zone Cuba. He was in the Rebel set, but both were shown on Mystery Science Theater 3000. So it was an honest mistake. Which was actually on an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. I am both God of facial hair. Beyond record. Sure, it was. <laughs> it had to have been. It was one of the dumbest films I've ever seen, about, but I digress. So, actually, I did look it up. Apparently, the guy who played the Toxic Avenger was also in Clerks and part of the Angry Mob. Nobody's there. It's four o'clock on a Saturday. How many people ever come to the store at four on a Saturday? And also, I think he was the guy when Dante pokes his head out the door, says, Hey, try not to suck any dick on the way through the parking lot. Hey, hey, you, get back here. Is that him too? That's <laughs> supposedly him. Oh, okay. I didn't really know what he looked like, but when I looked up who it was, it said that he was in Clerks. And I was like, he was in Clerks. And then they, they showed like the one still of him, you know, banging on the door when the, the store was closed. Yeah, I don't know if it's the same guy, but yeah. So you're introduced to these two characters, Bozo and Slug, I think it is. Yes. Slug kind of looked like Corey Feldman to me. I thought he looked like a doofy Ashton Kutcher. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the first thing they say about Melvin is that they don't like the way he's mopping, right? Would you take a look at that fucking guy? The mop boy. Can't even mop right. And that they're super tweaked out. What was it? No, you, you were right, though. They sounded he's, like sweet. He's, yeah, he was, he's stressed. Like, he's like, he's stressing me out. Stress, everything me out. was stressing him out. He was always stressed out, freaking out about and like making crazy noises and just be like, he's stressing me, Julie. He is stressing me. Oh, Bozo. I can't take it, Julie. I cannot take it. He is screwing up my karma. Ah! I'm stressed. See what you did, you idiot. See what you did. You stressed Bozo. 
I'm sorry, Julia. I, I didn't mean to do it. And he was sitting there and I... Ah! How dare you talk to me, you twerp! Like, he was so... I, I was so happy. I'm like, please kill this guy. I can't take it. <laughs> He's he screwing was... up his karma. <laughs> Stupid. But did not have, like, Xanax back then or something? That's, I was, that's like literally what I was like. These guys all need a freaking Xanax. Like, they need to calm down. This is insane. That's the trauma aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> They were incredibly annoying. So they're mad at him mopping and they're yelling at him about something that's really ridiculous. Well, two of them go back to the locker room to have sex. I think it's Slug and his girlfriend, right? The most awkward sex I've ever seen in my life. Yes. <laughs> so I didn't know you cringy. could get somebody off by dry humping them. It, but. Was, it wasn't even, it was just so, oh my, I was like, please make this stop. But then, and everyone has bad tan lines too. Oh, what yeah. is up with those tan lines? What is that? Oh my God. Sorry, so that's 80s. Yeah. <laughs> So Melvin walks in on them, right? And they're like upset at him. It's like you're in a public place. So yeah, like mean, you're having sex literally like in, in in a locker room. And she pulls a switchblade on him, but where was that switchblade? Because she was practically naked. Oh, you don't want to know where yeah. it was hidden. <laughs> don't I didn't even think of that. It's true. You know, the funny thing is about the actors who played Wanda and Slug, they ended up getting married in real life shortly yeah, after that they? film. And then they got divorced in 1999. So, Well, I mean, it lasted a while, though. It's, it's a, yeah. that's a good run. I mean, they made out the entire time, I guess. <laughs> I guess they were really feeling the chemistry. Oh, he was definitely feeling something. And uh, <laughs> I guess that won him over. <laughs> But yeah, those those four are just absolutely horrible. I mean, they're doing this points thing where they they run people over and they're you know killing people. I mean, you know, they run over that kid. You don't in movies. You're always like, oh, they're not going to kill a kid. Uh, no, <laughs> they did. Should mm-hmm. we talk, should we talk about this point system or should we just let it go? Let's not talk well, about what was said in the point system. <laughs> yeah, see, that's what I was thinking of. That I was like, I we probably shouldn't say anything about it. But there's certain people and certain things that are, you know, more points than others. And they're so into it. You know, they're just really sick, screwed up people. And they're they're very into it. Now, I don't know if I'm an alcoholic, but what bothered me the most in this scene was that the color of the liquid in the Jim Beam bottle was not Jim Beam. It was not the right color. <laughs> it was like too light. It was like, it was like iced tea or something. Yeah. I'm sure. Ah, the old David Lee Roth trick. Fill up the Jack Daniels with iced tea. Got it. <laughs> I want to take this time to say... That this is real whiskey here. The only people who put iced tea in Jack Daniels bottles is the Clash, baby! Oh, and it's not the other way around? Fill up the iced tea bottle with Jack Daniels? But they they do have an American flag in their car, so at least there's that, right? Oh, of course. At least they're and the guy was going to church. He had to get up early to go to church. So, you know, he kills children. He runs over children with his car, but you know, he's going to church. So it's all we're all good here. How old are these people supposed to be? Are they in high school or are they in college or what? I think they're supposed to be in their twenties, right? I mean, I assume. Essentially, they were in their twenties when they shot the film. I think it's safe to say that maybe they're in their early twenties, uh, the characters. But yeah, no, they that's the thing about Lloyd Kaufman with characters that are supposed to be evil. It's very black and white with who are the bad guys and who are the good guys. Right. You know, there's a certain ethos there that he kind of doesn't deviate from, even in later films. I remember being like, how, because they show the headlines about these hit and run killers who've not been caught. And I'm like, how are these people not getting caught? They get, they're screaming 
at the top of their lungs. They stop the car. They get out. They take pictures. They get out of the car. And they've got they've got like um, construction paper cutouts of all the people they've killed, like on the side of the car. Their tires are probably all bloody. How are these people not smarting the cops? Because at this point, you haven't met the cops yet. So (laughs) this is true. You You don't know know who's running this town yet. (laughs) Yeah. So that's another issue. But yeah, I just I couldn't believe that there was these kids running around killing people and so badly, so non-discreetly. Because I, I still was assuming that a lot of this made sense, that the, the people in this film at least weren't just all caricatures of, of somebody. So I don't know. I just thought that was strange. But again, you meet the cops and it kind of all makes sense after a while. Yeah. And by the way, that was a cassava melon, I believe, filled with caro syrup and anything they could find at the craft services table to make the effect look as bad as it did. And I think the fact that it was shot on grainy 35 millimeter at night. Oh, the head, you mean the boy's head? Uh, it was effective. Oh, you know, it was pretty It was pretty gross. I mean, there were some scenes in there that we were kind of discussing. It wasn't as gross as I thought it was going to be, but it was pretty, I mean, it was, it was gross. Well, for 1985, I could see how people could be affected by it. I mean, this was a decade where Dawn of the Dead had already been released. Evil Dead was rising in popularity. The basis for the Toxic Avenger was that him and Michael Hers read the horror film is dead. At the time, Trauma was known for Squeeze Play, Waitress, Stuck on You, and The First Turn On. So they figured, well, let's make a horror film, but let's involve elements of our sexy comedies in here as well. So that this way, it's like we can come out with our own brand. And it was actually a formula that worked for them from the early 80s up until the end of the decade. I didn't know that they did stuff. I didn't realize that. Every time you say sexy comedy, it makes me think of Stewie and sexy parties. <laughs> Sorry. I was like trying not to laugh while you were talking. <laughs> well, that's what they parties. call them. No, I, mean, I know. <laughs> just, it just made me, it made me giggle. Um, yeah, I didn't know that they had, that they had those kind of, I always thought that they were all kind of just gross, like Toxic Avenger. I really don't know much about trauma at all. Well, I can give you an entire biography on them, but uh, I don't want to bore anyone. So I'm purposely sticking to the film. Yeah. So at this point, we cut to two people driving toxic chemicals who just have Ziploc bags full of white powder, but an insane amount of white powder. Is it supposed to be cocaine? I'm assuming so. I mean, they have like they have it all over their faces at at one point. So I'm assuming it's cocaine. They're just sticking their faces in the bag (laughs) and just huffing it right out of the bag and it's getting all over their faces. Sweet and low. <laughs> but they did pull over to do it, which was very thoughtful. Well, it was very, it was responsible. very responsible. Yes. They're driving uncapped barrels of toxic sludge. There's no caps on these things at all. They're just open, bubbling over. Yeah. And they're on, they're on this huge truck. And But at least they pulled over to do their cocaine. But they pull over in front of this health, uh, this gym, right? With um, health club, which is really the central point of most of the movie, at least the early parts of the movie. Seems like that's what everybody, like everyone spends all their time there. That's just, they just hang out at the gym. Cause you were asking how old they were. I was like, well, they're definitely not in school because all they do is go to this gym. The reasoning was because aerobics and gyms seem to be taking over a big part of cities in the United States. The original title of the film was called Health Club Horror. Mm. You even notice at the end of the copyright, 1984 Trauma HCH. Mm. So the HCH stood for Health oh. Club Horror. So that was the working title. Oh, interesting. Okay, for the film. Cool. So, but while the toxic sludge truck is parked outside, they decide to pull a prank on Melvin. The boss told me the men's room looked real nice last night, Ma. Oh, I'm so proud of you, son. Now, Melvin didn't deserve a lot Ooh, of- Melvin. Yeah, I mean, he didn't deserve a lot of what happened to him, but a couple of things. 
he really was creeping on them when they were playing racquetball for no reason. I don't know what he was doing pressed up against the glass. But. <laughs> that was I mean, a funny a little, image, though. He's a little simple. You know, obviously, you know, they're portraying him as probably someone who's got some, you know, disabilities or whatever. But again, like one of those things that you just like never do anymore. But they're just mean to him, though. They're terrible to this poor guy. I feel bad for him. Like he's he's definitely strange, but he doesn't deserve that. I didn't I didn't like that. So who, who wants to describe the transformation scene? Wait for it. So they play this horrible trick on him and the girl, the blonde girl, I don't remember. I don't like, again, I'm really bad with names. The blonde girl. That is, was Julie. Okay. So Julie is like, oh, I, I need to talk to you. So they, she lures him in to the back and then turns out the lights and then, you know, get puts a wig on a sheep. I don't know where in the hell they found a sheep in the middle of a city and brought it into well, she gym. makes him put on leotards and a pink tutu. Like a pink tutu and a leotard, mm-hmm. right? Which he has on the whole time, which I absolutely adore that. It's the best that they keep that tat- the, tat- the tutu on him. And then, like, he, I guess they put lipstick on this poor sheep. And I'm like, only thing I can think, of course, I'm like, I hope they were nice to the sheep in real life. <laughs> and then he's running away and they're all laughing at him. And he jumps, he jumps, falls, I don't know, whatever, out the window and directly into the toxic sludge. Mm-hmm. Now, why did they make it? him jumping out the window and not being thrown out. Because in my opinion, it's his own damn fault. They played a joke on him and then they were chasing him. It's not like he did anything wrong and they were chasing him and going to beat him up. They were just laughing at him and he jumps out a window. You know what I mean? Like why, yeah. why not have it not be anything to do with his, his fault? Why, why not have them throw him out? Or why not have them chase him? Cause he did something wrong at least. So you're at least in fear of his life. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, it's, I just, I was, that's why I was like, I don't know if he jumped out or if he, accidentally fell out but i mean yeah he wasn't tossed out it would have made a little more sense i think if he was kind of thrown well if he didn't jump in the sludge we wouldn't have a movie we wouldn't have I, anything to talk about <laughs> you know of course exactly but i just feel like it's you know like what adam said like i feel like that they sort of made it so that he just i mean maybe he was just so scared and so freaked out he just didn't know what else to do and he just ran like he just jumped out the window which obviously is not a very wise choice i don't think many most of us would make that choice but he did <laughs> well, I mean, and here and here and here we are so you know well, if you look at the scene where they're chasing him down, he's running down a corridor with nowhere else to go. So in a moment of panic, yeah, you could see leaves. why he would have done that. But you're right. Any realistic person would have said, why not just run out the front door? <laughs> yeah, because I don't think the pool was on the second floor, right? He ran upstairs at some point. Or maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure about the They never show you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As, as you know, as... Someone who doesn't know very much about architecture engineering, I would imagine that the pool should probably be as close to the first floor as possible. <laughs> close to the ground. <laughs> I would yeah. agree. Okay, so. Um, so, yeah, he falls into this sludge and he's getting burned. I mean, this is toxic, you know, toxic sludge. So he's getting burned and his skin's kind of bubbling and the everybody's gathering around. They're laughing. I and mean, again, these people are just the worst kind of people in the world. They're laughing. If it was time now, people would have been with their phones, you know, taking a picture of him instead of helping him. So he's writhing around on the ground in pain and the police come over and they touch him and, and the guy's hands go up in flames, which mm-hmm. doesn't really make a lot of sense considering, I mean, he does burst into flames later, but he was, if I don't, I didn't really understand. So he's got all this stuff on him, but he's not on fire and the cop touches him and his hands go on fire. I mean, right. Am I, am I right? right I don't but, know. Then, but then when he starts running down the street, he does catch fire. He does, but he's not on fire at the time when the when the police officer touches him. So I don't really understand why his hands burst into flames. But 
but he goes and he runs, he's on fire. He runs home. We, I guess, you know, we, the next scene is his mom like, Hey, you're okay, Melvin. And I have to say that transformation scene was entirely too long. It was just went on and on. And I was like, okay, we get it. We know what's happening. Can we just move this along? It was just, it just went on a little too long for my liking. I was just going to say that, and this is the first part of him running down the street where you get the recurring and this wasn't in the credits, which I was surprised at, but you get the recurring music, which is not a bold mountain. It's not credited anywhere in the film, which I thought was strange. Well, I think that has to do with copyright law because the original writer passed away. They didn't have to include it because I think it's public domain. Public domain. Okay. Oh, yeah. Interesting. My little Melvin. He must have finally reached puberty. So yeah, as, as far as the transformation scenes you're talking about in the bathtub? In the, yeah. And just the whole thing. He was in the bathtub and he gets out of the bathtub and just it just kept it just kept kind of going on and on and on. And I just felt as though it just it didn't need to be that long. We knew what was happening. We didn't it just it just felt like it dragged a little bit at that point. I could see that, but I mean for me, having watched the film as many times as I have, and that's a lot. <laughs> I really have to credit Jennifer Aspinall, who was the special effects person behind the monster hero itself. I thought she did a phenomenal job. She actually went on to bigger things later on. I think she actually even did makeup for Saturday Night Live. Yeah, no, it was great. I actually was impressed with the special effects, to be honest. I thought they were pretty good. I didn't expect them to be that good, honestly. Pleasantly surprised at that. Yeah, and this is, at this point is, I think, we're right around where, well, first he gets thrown out by his mother, or his mother, not thrown out, but his mother he, freaks out. He leaves and then he tries to come back and she doesn't recognize him and she freaks out. Yeah. Correct. And I think this is where you start to get introduced to the cops and the mayor. the other night between my men and O'Clancy. O'Clancy. Oh, yeah, that's that honest cop. I don't know. Somebody must have got their signals crossed. Look here, Mr. Mayor. All I know is two of my best men had their heads scrambled the other night by this cop who's supposed to be working for us. Is there any truth to this rumor I hear about the seven-foot monster? Walter, you know how dangerous these streets can be. Anything could happen. Look, Pete, all I know is that they found knuckles and nipples with their heads split open and mops stuffed down what was left of their throat. Hey, do you think that cop could have done it? Oh, Clancy, give me a break. You know, some of my men are complaining that they were scared to make the rounds. Don't worry, Walter. I'm going to give you this town all wrapped up. Monster or no monster. The mayor is somebody. I don't know if you recognized him, Tara, but I looked him I up. was trying to figure out where I knew him from. and Because he, he isn't usually that fat, I don't think. And... He, but his voice was very familiar. He had a very nice voice and I was trying to place it. Who is it? Cause it was driving me crazy. He was in the film Manigan, right, Adam? Yes, he was the pizza guy who fires him and was chasing Oh, stop it. That's amazing. <laughs> what do you think? What do I think? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. What do I think? Yeah. yeah, yeah oh exactly. my goodness. That's so funny. I don't, I was, but I kept, is that the only thing he's from that I would know? Because I really, I kept saying, I was like, why do I know this guy? Why do I know this guy? Maybe it is just from that. 
he was also in the films Class of Newcomb High, which is the next trauma film after this. And he was also in another film called Street Trash. He was really big in the New York City independent film world. Right, you know, he okay. was a very uh, in-demand actor because of his height, but uh, not height, because of his size, but also because he was, a, I thought he was, he, he was a very good actor. R.L. Ryan, also Pat Ryan. Those are the names he went by. He unfortunately passed away in 1991. Oh, so wow. He must have mm-hmm. been pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and one kind of thing I think, I mean, I, I think that Lloyd Kaufman is a very clever person. And I think that I like that he kind of does little things here and there that, you know, you pick up on uh, one of the things being, I thought it was funny. It said, and it a picture of the mayor and it said, reelect mayor, whatever, for a healthy Tromaville. <laughs> and you have this guy who's like 400 pounds <laughs> in there. It's like not the picture of health, you know, but I just, I like that Lloyd Kaufman. Like I like the little things that he does that he puts into the movies. The mayor's dirty and the cops are dirty and they're just talking openly about how I don't know, the Toxic Avenger or whatever it is that, uh, oh, here's your drug money. And it's just like a brown paper bag. And he's like, thanks for the drug money. Like they don't go into details about how the operation works or anything. It's just about just just there to show you that the mayor and the cops are dirty. That they're bad. Yeah, exactly. I just love that they're giving them pre-filled syringes. It's like, oh, how nice of them. They already put the drugs in the in the needles for you. Here you go. There is no room for exposition in trauma films. Yeah. But we actually did skip the scene in Shinbone Alley where we first meet. Oh, right. Uh, yes. Where we first Cigar meet. Face with Knuckles and oh, I forget the other character's name. We actually meet the one good cop, O'Malley. O'Malley? My mistake. O'Clancy. They try to pay him off and he refuses, so they try to kill him as a result. (laughs) If it ain't Cigar Face, what are you and your five friends up to? We brought you a little present from the boss. Here. (laughs) It ain't right. Right or wrong ain't got nothing to do with it. The boss wants you on the payroll. So if you know what's good for you, you take the money and shut up. No way. I don't want your money. Now, why don't you run along before I take you all in? <laughs> You're going to take us in? <laughs> you big, stupid, fat-footed. You take this money, or Uncle Paul's going to send you to California in a wooden overcoat. <laughs> no way. Oh, wasting your time. No, that's where you're wrong. You're wasting our time. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, and you don't see his face, comes Melvin as a toxic Avenger, bashing their head. Oh, Nipples was the guy's name. Nipples. So Knuckles and Nipples. <laughs> well, he's, he's about Sorry. to shoot the cop's dick off. Yeah, right? that's true. <laughs> all of a sudden, Toxie comes out of nowhere and throws Cigar Head by his head into a nearby garbage can disposes of Knuckles and Nipples by, let's see, punching in Knuckles' nose, bashing their heads together where you see their heads explode. <laughs> he loves those head yes, explosions. Yes, he does. And he gets rid of Cigar Face by putting him upside down in a garbage can and punching the living shit out of his <laughs> junk. <laughs> but they're not and dead. They high pat- well, Knuckles and Nipples are dead by this point. Cigar Face yells, I'll catch you, brother, you monster! 
That's right. That's right. Yes, right. Thank you to the actor who played Officer O'Clancy, playing the good old stereotype of the Irish cop. The Irish cop, <laughs> yeah. This town is a bunch of Irish cops run by a German Ger- captain, <laughs> police it's captain. Like, it's like, okay, this is interesting. The scene after the scene in Shinbone Alley is in the mayor's headquarters, where you're seeing the corruption right there. Although not a political theme, the basic theme of the film is when power corrupts and as a result you kind of poison your environment you know toxic people breed toxic situations right and all of a sudden comes the one character who is toxic who wants to make things right is actually doing the most good that's probably as political as the film gets and what was going on in that room i have to say oh with the go-go dancers he's got go-go dancers (laughs) he's he's talking and they're just kind of behind him just doing this it's just i'm like what is happening in this room this is very odd and that one guy his cohort whatever he is is just staring i don't know he, he doesn't seem to be looking at the girls but he's, he's staring off into space and he's like, is he dead? <laughs> it's like, what is what is happening in this room? It's like the weirdest scene ever. And they're discussing moving the toxic waste dump so that they could use the current site to build high rise apartments or something like that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they're, they seem to be OK with that when they both agree that the only place that they can dump toxic waste would be closer to the drinking water. That's the water they, reservoir, yeah. Yeah, that's when they seem to get excited about this idea. <laughs> like, that's the part that made them genuinely happy. We're going to kill everybody that lives in Tromaville. Yay. It's like, okay. It's like, I guess the plan of just making money and moving dump site wasn't evil enough. But if you're going to hurt people at the same time, that seemed to be way go. more exciting to them. <laughs> well, it's just the fact that they could sell it because they're making beautiful waterfront property on toxic land. Sell it for cheap, make profit, they die, sell it again. <laughs> yeah. Yay, cronyism. <laughs> Basically, right? So now I think we are at the Mexican place. Mm-hmm. Mexican, yeah. Which made me so want tacos. Like They looked so good and crunchy. Oh, man, that looks amazing. Oh, is that why you texted me? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, now oh, I want tacos. Oh. Damn. <laughs> she texted me, I want tacos. I was like, where are you texting me for? I was like, okay. Because I, I was at that part of the movie and I was like, damn it, now I want tacos. Yo quiero taco, Ben. <laughs> But that's a very odd, that that whole scene is like super strange. Those guys, I know it's trauma, but the characters and the way they dress and the way they look, it's very, I mean, it's very 80s too, because we've definitely watched some pretty cheesy movies, obviously on the show. It seems like people, like villains like to dress up, <laughs> like street villains, <laughs> they like to dress in really odd costumes. And mm-hmm. this was no exception with the paint. And I just, there was so many things going on that I didn't understand. Like, why did they keep kissing people? <laughs> what was what was <laughs> happening with this? Like, it was just so, it was so strange. And yeah. so, yeah. It's like, are you trying to be punk rock or are you trying to be over the top villains or you're auditioning for the band Loverboy? Please yeah. tell me. <laughs> Yeah, but that one guy who was behind the counter, because they kept cutting to the three robbers, and they would all be doing something terrible. One would be doing something terrible, the other person would do something terrible. And they cut to the third guy, and he would just reach over and start kissing the uh, the cashier. <laughs> it's like one guy is like going to shoot a baby, and then the other guy is going to do something terrible to another girl, and he's just like, kissing mm, this poor cashier lady. This is just weird. That actor actually threatened to walk off the set when he found out that he had to hold up a gun to a baby's head. Good. That scene was the most disturbing scene in the movie, for me, honestly. It was, yeah. there was a lot of, I think, disturbed ch- children probably on that set. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess he gave them ice cream at, at the end, but there's a lot of kids in bad situations. I mean, I guess it was a baby, but it was old enough to, I think, understand like a, what a gun was. You know, it seemed like yeah, it, it looked like it was, it was about genuine, three. Yeah, terrified. 
Yeah. And I thought I recognized that actor. For a split second, I thought it was Needles from Back to the Future. McFly! But it's actually another character I knew from Rima Williams, who had the diamond in his teeth. Patrick Kilpatrick. Yeah, Patrick Kilpatrick. And I tried to look him up on IMDb, but he's in like 200 films. He's had like a very long career. I wasn't able to really scroll through and check, but he's he did very well for himself. Are you talking about the guy with the, the face paint? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, didn't, I, I didn't recognize him. I think he was in the film Minority Report with Tom Cruise. So. Yeah, I saw that one in the yeah. IMDb, yeah. So he's... Probably had the most work of anybody in this film. The actor who played the kissing bandit, I'll call him. <laughs> uh, he is a very in-demand stunt person oh. for major motion pictures. Doing films like this, this non-union work was just a way for them to make extra money. Actually, a lot of union people involved in the film industry would work on non-union productions anywhere from like B-movies in the United States or even Italy. Some of them even worked on adult films behind the scenes when... Hmm. There were no union productions going on. Cool. This is the scene where we meet Sarah, who's a, a blind woman sitting and eating tacos. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and the main robber, he comes up and he decides that uh, in the middle of this robbery, he's going to sexually assault this blind woman. Hey, Leroy, you know, I always did want to cornhole me a blind bitch. <laughs> and he, yeah, he's like, this bitch is blind. And I feel like I've heard people say that before. And I, I'm assuming it's from that movie. Was, I, I thought he was in the process of doing it, but he was still in preparation when the Toxic Avenger comes in. (laughs) Preparing. Oh my goodness. With that one gammy arm that's hanging and like no one, I wonder if people noticed that before they realized what was about to happen. So I did not know this until I read the trivia afterward that he is a one-armed person who had a prosthetic on. Oh, he is? Okay, I did not, I did not know (laughs) that. See, it works. I thought that after they ripped his arm off, he had it tucked away somewhere. Yeah, of course. That's what I was saying. No, he's an actual like amputee. Well, interesting. I did not, I didn't know that at all. So then we get these elaborate Mexican or restaurant themed kill scenes, I guess. After the, you know, well, first of all, they shoot this blind woman's dog, right? Do you want to talk about? I know you said you had something to say about that. Gary, the the actor, the actor, the dog, the dog who played Gary was a trained stunt dog. His favorite stunt to do was sliding across the floor. I noticed that. <laughs> you never see the dog get shot. You see the shot and you see some kind of like fur pelts mm-hmm. with a squib come out of it. And then the next scene after that is Gary sliding. He's not literally shot. No, no, of course but not. He but wanted to do the slide. <laughs> it makes me sad. No, it makes me sad too. <laughs> When they decide to do a shot of the dog bleeding out, all they did was just dump a pot of spaghetti with sauce on him because you could still see the dog breathing. Yeah, the dog's breathing. I saw like this thing. I thought maybe he was dying or whatever. I I didn't even think of that, but it was so spaghetti that they had on the dog. That's the scene actually from the film more than the head crushing that got trauma the most controversy for this film because apparently they were getting death threats. How could you kill a dog on screen? He's like, we didn't kill the dog. There's laws against that, though, right? I mean, I, I wouldn't think that they actually killed the dog. You know what I you know No, what they saying? wouldn't like, have actually yeah, killed Yeah, so, the like, dog. I, that's kind of crazy that people actually did think that. I mean, it's a movie. It would be a production nightmare anyway. There's a lot of things in this movie where you could tell that it's not real people. You know, when, like, when he puts the lady in the washing machine, you know, it's pretty obvious that that's not like it's like a dummy you know (laughs) obviously so he saves the girl and she's hilarious because she's the way she looks around (laughs) all the time you know 
she's blind. Like, I don't know what she's looking for. It's like, I know that sounds really mean, but why, is, why is she looking around so much? Because <laughs> yeah. she's not, she can't see. It's like, you're not going to see anything. So her, just her mannerisms and just the way she, she was really endearing and just adorable. And so, so funny. I really liked her mm-hmm. character. So she likes him. He walks her home. They get to the house. She's like, watch this, watch the step. And then she falls over it, which it's very <laughs> stupid. But I actually had, I laughed. I, I laughed out loud at that because it was, it was just funny. That was, my, that was the funniest part of the movie for me. That was yeah. the funniest part of the movie. <laughs> and then she has all those, well, like, you know, walking cane, like the canes. <laughs> she's got, like, I don't know why she has so many. Yeah. So, like 50 of them. And she picks one up and she's like, you can sit. I don't know. She's just very funny. And then she hits him with it by accident. And, but it's funny because he's, you know, this tough guy when he, you know, he hits, she hits him in his balls and he's like, oh, oh. but he's getting, you know, punched and kicked and all these things. And he can't, you know, he's not, it doesn't affect him, but that one little stick in the balls, that was it. But I feel like he doesn't want to make her feel bad. So he's trying to like, not, not wince in pain or let her know. Mm-hmm. And so like, do you want something to drink? And he's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but later on, um, she, well, he won't let her touch her face, touch his face. Right. right. And we, at this point, we should mention we do not see his face for a while. Oh, that's I, right. I was I was surprised. I was like, wait a minute, are we going to see his face, or are they just going to keep it so we don't see it? I, I was glad that we did, but it did. It was quite a while until we saw his face. Was that a decision that was made before the fact? Or Obviously, was, okay. That wasn't in post. They decided to. No, the way it appears on screen is the way that it was shot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we'll start from scratch. I'm sketching. Okay, look. His eye was up over here. No, no, it was right here. No, 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 no. His eye was up over here, and then the other one was down over here. Oh, the other eye was right here. You're looking at Oh, you gotta make up your mind. How about his mouth? Oh, his mouth was crooked. His lips were all like twisted. Look like him. Yeah, like him. Yeah, that's more like it. Give me a right, fellas. Nobody looks like that. That's the monster. That's the face I saw. That's it. I'll never forget that face. Never forget. Holy cow, that's my mother-in-law. After Melvin leaves Sarah's apartment, we go back to the Tromaville Health Club. Wanda is in the sauna, Mm -hmm. in the nude. She is pleasuring herself over photos of Skippy's dead body. Skippy's the boy that they ran over his head. Mm. So gross. And this is where we see the reveal of Melvin as a Toxic Avenger. Earlier in the film, Slug went down to the sauna to trick Wanda as the elephant oh, the man. Elephant man he had yeah. the blanket over his head. He was like, I am not an animal. I am Melvin, the mop boy. This time it is Melvin's mop boy <laughs> yes. with the hood on his head. And Wanda says, Listen, stop trying the Alpha Man trick. Takes off the blanket, and this is where you see Melvin as a Toxic Avenger with the one dead eye that's drooped down. Mm-hmm. Scares the living bejesus out of Wanda. The next thing you know, he picks up Wanda and he burns her ass. <laughs> and he on... calls her like hot ass. He's like, let this be a lesson to your hot ass. <laughs> There's no room for nuance in these uh, in, in <laughs> these films. Not. 
But did, and they, did they ever reveal whether she's dead? That's actually in the outtakes. The film itself is about 82 minutes long. To make it long enough for TV, they actually included clips that were not included in the film. You can actually see the film in its entirety if you purchase the Japanese edition of the DVD. Mm. In Japan, they actually released the film with all the edited scenes back in there. Mm. What happens is she ends up turning herself in to the cops and you see her backside is all bandaged up. <laughs> we are to believe that the other girl is dead, right? I'm assuming he kills her in the basement, I guess they're in. In the film, yes. Okay. In the Japanese cut, you see that Julie actually lived. Oh, she Except did. she's got a really bad bald cap on. <laughs> and oddly enough, the scene where Wanda turns herself in is where Julie turns herself in as well. Oh, okay. And that's when they start blaming each other. It was her fault. No, it was your fault. And then they start getting into a cat fight. Who turned herself into court? I'm telling you, officer, it wasn't me. It was... There she is. That's her. <laughs> they forced me to get in the car and run over those kids. Put a monster into me. I'm going to get you. What about the boys? How you saw it end was how it ended oh, okay. in the film. So, <laughs> so one got tossed out of the car and the other one burnt, got burnt up in the explosion, the car exploding, right? Is that how it happened? Correct. Okay. Correct. So after the reveal is where Melvin is becoming the monster hero. This is where he's urinating on the wall. Yeah. Um, Adam, you can take over. Well, I just, <laughs> I was just, I thought that the, the urination would come into play somehow. Like it would be toxic and he would like piss on a, um, street thug and it would burn them or something like that. But it was just him just pissing against the wall. I it didn't yeah. have anything to do with anything. <laughs> well, I mean, they were showing you that he, his pee is to like, you know, I think that's what the point toxic. was. They were showing that it was like, you know, green and toxic. So yeah. Yeah. But it, it didn't have anything to do with the rest of the movie. Right. I don't think. It, it didn't. The only significance it has is that this is where Melvin saves a kid from child prostitution 12 year old girl but you do see her at the end again in the final scene so you know you realize she has a happy life now because melvin saved her right okay well that's good but there's like, like 10 10 guys get out of that limo right because you first you think it's just it's just the pimp and the girl but then like a bunch of guys get out of the limo like it's a clown car <laughs> which is a trait that lloyd has used in many of his films after this mm -hmm. he's a fan of the clown car thing He's a fan of like the classic comedies like Chaplin and not that John Ford ever made any classic comedies except for The Quiet Man, but he loves like the old school films, the classic comedies. Right. So he's highly influenced by that. Of course, it also comes with a lot of blood and gore, but, you know, that's just to sell tickets. Makes it better. I guess, <laughs> I guess chronologically speaking, then um, I think at this, at this point, he well, a couple of things are happening. I'm not sure in what order. Number one, you're starting to see more toxic sludge appear where he's sort of taken up residence in the dump. So I guess you're getting the idea that they're starting to, to put more toxic sludge in that area, right? Mm -hmm. And it seems like Sarah is now aware of where that location is, and she's also spends time with As much as he spends time with her at her place, she seems to also spend time with him at his place in the garbage dump. Dump. Right. <laughs> After uh, Melvin returns home, this is when his mother runs away in fear of him. Right. It's me, Ma. Melvin. Oh! 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 Ma. 
Oh, ma. Okay. And he moves into the toxic dump. Sarah moves in with him. Shortly after Melvin saved her in front of the Tromaville Health Club, again, returning to the scene where it all happened. Oh, that's right. And another she's group getting of, hit on by all these bikers. Yeah. Oh, hit on in air quotes, like another group of men are trying to sexually assault her. Yeah. Like, what is this life of hers? <laughs> Hi, Ma. Yeah, it's me, Melvin. Yeah. Listen, Ma, I met a girl. She's beautiful. She reminds me so much of you. And then she's back at the garbage dump and Melvin is coming home and she opens up a book that's called Braille Mirror. Mm-hmm. And this, this to me seemed very like a Mel Brooks type of joke. What, what's your problem? You're Mel Brooks. I get that a lot. We're not all perfect. Because I was like, I wanted to see what was inside of it, but it's just Braille. So I'm not sure if it was, was it supposed to be like, I don't know, what, what was that? <laughs> well, we've established that she's already moved in with him. But uh, the scene that you're talking about right before this, this is when we think he executes Julie. And as I mentioned in one of the outtakes, you see Julie actually live. But for the purpose of the film, we'll just say, OK, in the film itself, Julie's dead. He mm-hmm. kills her with the scissors. Then he gets his revenge on Bozo and Slug. And, you know, Tara, as you mentioned, uh, he throws Slug out of the car. Slug dies from his injuries. And Melvin and Bozo end up jumping off the cliff in the car. Melvin lives. Now, the scary thing about this scene was that it took one take, but the guy performing the stunt almost got killed (laughs) when this scene was shot. The stunt car was rigged to allow the vehicle to drive straight with the gas pedal to the floor. The roll bar installed in the car was wrecked, though, when the car was falling off the cliff. It almost killed the stunt driver who was driving the vehicle. That's divine intervention, if you ask me. Jeez, so they really did blow up that car, huh? I Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. There's like all different kinds of camera tricks. I mean, I guess in the 80s early, it wasn't, it's not like it is now, but that's so crazy. Oh my God. Yeah. Now they could get away with doing something like that digitally, but no, they actually blew blew up up this car. So after he kills Bozo, This is when we cut into the laundromat where the little person, she wants to get stains out of her son's pants, Mm -hmm. which we don't know what they are. I had no idea. He went out with this girl and then he came back with all these stains on his pants. All these stains on his pants. Like, why are those pants? Like, why are there stains on the outside? I really, today's so stupid. I can't believe you came on my mom. I don't really understand. I mean, I know what it's supposed to be, but yeah, the stains are kind of weird. I mean, we know what they're supposed to be, but they're on the outside and they're just all over. So I don't, I don't really know what was going on there, but she's- Maybe it's not a girl, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. So we, we think that this little old lady is, you know, innocent, right? I mean, I thought so too. I had no, I thought that she was this, you know, he's, I'm like, why is he killing this, you know, little innocent lady at the laundromat? This is not, this is bad. But we but we find out that he's that she's actually not as innocent as she seems. Yeah, I suspected that it was maybe the mother of Slug or Bozo. Oh, for some reason, I was like, maybe that she's calling them. Maybe that's not their real names. Maybe this is like Slug's mother or something. And I didn't even think of that. Yeah, but that's not the case. Yeah, no relation at all. It's just apparently we find out that Mrs. Haskell it was the leader of a white slavery ring. Yes. <laughs> Why is it going to be And we whites? find this out. After Melvin kills her by throwing her in the dryer. And then he puts the, her on the press, on the ironing, right? Oh, yes, 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 correct. Yeah. The one 
line from this film that people seem to have a hard time with. The line that apparently offended people was when Melvin said, <laughs> I'm not dicky, I'm not washy. Yeah. I, I saw that too. That's <laughs> <laughs> the stereotype of the Asian of laundry. The laundry. Okay, that's, that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, but the mayor and the cops want to push the narrative because everyone thinks that she was this upstanding citizen. They want to push that narrative because the toxic Avenger Melvin is interfering with their crime business, their drug business. So everyone, they, the sentiment right now is pro-monster, and they want to turn it against by saying, look, he doesn't just go after evil people. He also goes after innocent people like this woman who got killed in the laundromat, and they're trying to downplay any relation she had to this international slavery ring. Yeah. Correct. And you can tell Melvin feels an extraordinary amount of guilt that he may have killed someone innocent because mm-hmm. he didn't know that she was the head of a white slavery ring. The only thing that he knew was that the chemicals in his body, which as one of the medical professionals earlier stated, the chemicals in his body give him the urge to destroy evil. Whatever it is, this monster has been exposed to toxic chemical waste. It is also highly probable that this monster may have developed a very basic instinct which draws him, or should I say, commands him to destroy evil. Okay. So for all he knew, he was killing someone evil, but then after he killed her, he thinks that he may have killed someone innocent, not realizing what she truly was. I was going to say that I, I was... Because at first they said, did he know somehow or that it's just that he has an instinct to just kill bad. So he just killed her without really knowing, but he just, that's what he does. Okay, so that clears it up. Correct. And it's on to the second film in the series where we find out that those chemicals are called traumatons. (laughs) (laughs) I have these biochemical particles in my body called traumatons. I know it's hard for you to understand, but I had an accident a while back and it affected my biochemical makeup. So every time I sense evil, these traumatons inside me force me to destroy it. How original. Isn't it? <laughs> so this, this doctor comes in and explains that he has this urge to kill guilty people, but apparently he it makes him aware of someone's guilt even if he's not consciously aware of it. So I assume maybe he it's able to detect the guilt from emanating from them. Correct. But yeah, I, I don't know. And you said trauma doesn't have any room for exposition. This scientist scene was a bit of exposition-y. <laughs> okay, one case in this film. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, look, you need some exposition sometimes. It's not always bad. Continuity is where they have their biggest issue. <laughs> I also noticed that when he was walking home through the toxic sludge to his garbage dump was a very prominent book called Six Crises written by uh, Nixon, I think. Mm-hmm. That was purposefully put there. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I didn't see that. Where mm-hmm. was this? This was in the uh, scene where he's walking back to the toxic waste dump at night. He walks by a book, by his foot. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Lloyd Kaufman, for all intents and purposes, is a classical liberal in the sense that he's not really one to kowtow to Republican policies. At the same time, he's also not big on what you would call the limousine liberals. And he actually goes more into it in his new film that's actually coming out this year called Hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm, where he kind of takes on the limousine lipstick liberals and Big Pharma. So, you know, he's still making movies. Wow. 
Well, this may be his last film. He doesn't know yet. Okay. But from what John Brennan from the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs on Shutter, and he's also a producer of the film, he said that if this is his last film, he feels like he's going out on a high note. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. I love you. Now back to our show. So he stepped on the Nixon book as well as stepped on a McDonald's styrofoam container. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're seeing the quote unquote toxicity of everything leading up to this point. Mm -hmm. So the mayor and the cops now have used this, uh, this murder of this small woman who everyone thinks is innocent to turn sentiment against toxic Avenger and to call the governor to bring in or to help with uh, capturing, or he, he, the mayor wants to kill the Toxic Avenger, but the governor says, we can capture him. I'm going to give you, I'm going to send in the National Guard. Mm -hmm. Correct. Captain Custer, I'm Mayor Belgody. Did you get word from the governor's office that I was on the way? Yes, sir. The orders came through this afternoon. Sir. Well, then your troops are now under my command. How soon can you get them mobilized and out of here? I'll have my men in the field by dawn tomorrow, sir. Then you have only one order for the day. Kill them. Well, sir, maybe it's not necessary to kill the monster. Some of the men have come up with a plan to take him alive. It would be more humane. Plan to capture him dead. You got that? Yes, sir. Chief, I got one order of the day for you. Until we snuff this monster, I want 24-hour protection. Even if I'm taking a dump, you hear me? Yeah, Mayor. What the hell is this? Where'd you get those shirts? I love the mon- Whose kids are these? <laughs> these are my kids, Mr. Mayor. Oh, Clancy, what's the matter with you? Where do those kids get those shirts? Well, you know, get kids that'll be kids. Get rid of them. You mean the kids? No, you don't. The shirts. So the National Guard come, and uh, the Toxic Avenger at this point knows that I think he's being followed. They're after him, and he, or he just decides he wants to get away from society because he feels guilty for killing this innocent woman because he thinks that she was innocent. He doesn't realize that he killed her because she was guilty. So he knows his campground, and him and Sarah go off to the, live in this campground. Mm -hmm. And they're followed or they're discovered by... Um, the cops. The cops. They, uh, they two cops, yeah. yeah. One of them, it's his first day on the force. He's like, um, I'm chasing monsters. It's my first day. And where did a Southerner decide to move to New Jersey to become a cop? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm out here chasing monsters and all I'm doing is getting my fucking ass bitten by mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> his asshole bitten by mosquitoes. <laughs> He actually said his asshole like they yeah. were in his butt. It was like that's <laughs> it made it funnier to me, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just I always find it funny when people talk about things happening to their asshole, even though that's just <laughs> negative space. <laughs> like yeah. as opposed to the actual butt, like yeah. the cheeks. It's not as funny. It's funnier when it's the like the actual butthole. Like, yeah, totally. <laughs> you no, know, assholes are funny. <laughs> Saying asshole is funny. It is, yeah. <laughs> Oh, potty humor. I love it. They decided that they're going to go live in this campground, but they're going to live in this eight foot dome tent, tent <laughs> that's like four feet high. That's their new home. Seems reasonable. It's bigger on the inside. That's not their hoop. And she says that too. She's like, I wish there was somewhere we could go. And then she's like, Oh, you told me about this place. And 
whatever this campground that's somewhere like outside. I mean, it looked like it was, it did not look like a campground. I mean, it looked, it looked like they had found something on the side of the road and stuck a tent there. Cause you said it was Staten Island. That was Staten Island. Uh, that definitely was Staten Island. And it's just no campground at all. It did not look anything like a campground. It was just grass and probably by a garbage dump. Cause it's Staten Island. Sorry. That's a, that's a, that's a park <laughs> in Staten Island. But you know, it, <laughs> it was just, it just looked funny. So they show up with tanks and cops and guns and army and uh, the mayor shows up. He's also got a gun <laughs> and everyone has a gun. Yeah. The whole town really just confronts <laughs> him mm-hmm. and he gets out and he tries to tell her to stay inside, but she doesn't. She comes out also. We do have a beautiful scene though, where his mom comes out mm-hmm. and defends him. And once his mom does come out and defend him, then the townspeople come out to defend him as well. Mm-hmm. His mom says, if you're going to shoot him, you're going to have to shoot me too. Mm-hmm. And then one by one, the kids and the people of the, you know, that are in that mob are like, yeah, me too. And him, you know, and they start going and, and protecting him. So he doesn't really say anything. He was ready to get killed. You know, he's just like, fine, kill me, whatever. But okay. the, the townspeople come in, in between him and the police. Then all the National Guard and the army also start putting down their weapons, even though I don't think they know what's going on. Like they have nothing to do with this. They probably came from different town and the tank goes lowers yeah yeah the tank like goes like (laughs) drops a foot Mm -hmm. um but the mayor is the only one left the mayor the police chief and the two cronies that he works with Mm -hmm. they still stand beside the mayor but the only one of them that has the guts to shoot melvin is the mayor Mm -hmm. okay by that being an instant threat to melvin this is what causes him to react okay so he goes after the mayor and he corners him and i thought he was going to be like Oh, you know, my killing days are over. We're going to see you rot in jail or something like that. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet, Adam. (laughs) (laughs) That would be nice, but that's not what happens. (laughs) No, that mayor sucked. He deserved to die. Okay. And he gets his stomach ripped out or whatever. He gets his stomach ripped out and he gets a pun too. Says, you fat slob, let's see if you have any guts. (laughs) Then he rips into his stomach, pulls his guts out. And the mayor's trying to put his He's guts putting him back, back in. in. <laughs> I like that scene too. He's like, oh no, like that's gonna help. <laughs> he put it back in there. It's fine. It's okay. And he says, Officer O'Clancy, take care of this toxic waste. <laughs> and the National Guard, who decided to let this um, monster go, just witnessed him murder the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that too. I'm like, he did just kind of kill the mayor, but mayor was decided a bad guy. he's still not a threat for whatever reason. I guess because it's kind of implied that they realized that the mayor was the threat. Right. The mayor was the bad guy. I don't know if I would have gotten that just from that scene. If I was just some National Guard guy who just showed up on the day, I don't know. Oh, well, yeah, the National Guard. But, I mean, the townspeople probably already knew, but I mean, the National Guard, that's true. I was thinking that they're like, I was like, well, they're going to kill him or they're going to arrest him. Or right. something. I mean, he just yeah. killed the mayor. So whether or not he deserved it is kind of not the point. <laughs> like he just well, murdered kind, someone. You kind of see power kind of transfer to the proletariat, meaning the uh, the townspeople that are defending him, because as they stated, he saved them. Right. And the mayor was the one who fired the first shot. It is interesting that the movie starts off and you think that Bozo and Slug are going to be the antagonists or the villains, but... Um, it does shift, you know, it sort of levels up and, and you start having the mayor, the cops, um, and just basic cronyism become the, the villain of the, the movie. I was actually thinking that it's weird after I watched it, um, I was, I just was thinking about the movie and I said, you know, where it started was very different from where it ended. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. You know, it was not the same movie. It was started out with these horrible, horrible kids that were doing terrible things. And you kind of think that's going to be central, but it completely shifts and it's not even about them anymore. I thought that was, I thought that was kind of interesting because it's, it's almost like it, I just said to myself, you know, I was like, wow, the movie just didn't, it just ended so differently than it began, than it began. Mm-hmm. Right. And th- this is where it shifted from being called health club hard to the toxic Avenger mm-hmm. okay. or as it was called the European uh, territories, atomic hero. So when Lloyd Kaufman realized, wow, I'm not making a film, uh, a horror film about a health club anymore. I'm making it about this one central character. This is when he decided, okay, let's shift the narrative a little bit. Trauma is notorious for script revisions as the film is going on. (laughs) So I was actually going to say that he was, he writing the movie kind of as he was going, because wouldn't he have known that the movie wasn't going to be a horror movie about health club, but Mm. obviously he didn't because he started with that idea, but then it kind of shifted to something completely different. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because he did state in his book, all I needed to know about filmmaking, I learned from the Toxic Avenger. Yes, that's his first book. <laughs> he did mention that it started out one way, but before it went into production, it went through so many revisions. Then as the film was being shot, it was still going through revisions because he took advantage of certain locations and certain availability of actors that he was kind of able to write that into the narrative. Okay. That's interesting. The funny thing about the end of the film where you're hearing Melvin and Sarah yell, Sarah! 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 That was his homage to Rocky. He was a location manager on Rocky. In his life, this was the only time Lloyd Kaufman ever heard his name at the Oscars. In Philadelphia, I had men giving me their energy. Lloyd Kaufman, Ralph Boda, Mike Scott, Joe Letizia, Garrett Brown, and Ralph Hotchkiss. Thank you. John G. Abelson, the director of Rocky, he thanked Lloyd Kaufman when he accepted his Academy Award. So that was his gratitude to John G. Abelson was sort of throwing that ending scene. Wow. The next big film he worked on after that was Saturday Night Fever. Cool. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. I I love Rocky. I still think Network should have won Best Picture in 76, but Rocky, I get it. I really like that movie. Pretty much brings us to the end. But yeah, I mean, but I was actually going to say, so I know that there was this movie and there was another one, but the next one didn't come out until like the 90s. No, Toxic Avenger Part 2 and Part 3 were shot back to back. Okay, because I was looking it up because what we were talking about before, how you had seen the show as well, um, and it was great, but I, like I said, I'd never seen the movie, but that play seemed to be all of them together, right? I mean, because they, she was kept calling him Toxie through the whole thing, and they never, I kept waiting for them, for him, for her to call him Toxie in the movie, and she never does, but in the play... She calls him Toxie the whole time. Lloyd Kaufman didn't write the musical. He licensed the rights to the movie to be made into a musical. Right. So whoever did that took creative license. They just took creative license. Okay. Because I didn't know, I wasn't sure if it was kind of a combination of the, all the three Toxic Avengers or if it was just, they just did what they kind of want. They just kind of took liberty. They just did what they wanted to do with it. Okay. That answered my question. But Toxic Avenger Part 2 is where we first hear Melvin called Toxie. Okay. Uh, parts 2 and 3 were 
film together, but releases two separate films in um, early 89 and late 89. Okay. The next sequel, which is called Citizen Toxie. Citizen Toxie. And that was like 99 or something. That was shot summer of 2000. And our classmate, Fred Earhart, was an extra in that film. Oh, I remember him. (laughs) Uh Yeah, cool. Oh, wow. I haven't heard that name in forever. Yeah, because that was actually shot up in his uh, old town of Saugerties, uh, the Saugerties Buffalo area. Okay, nice. So, yeah, um, and that's the Toxic Avenger. Uh, Yeah, I do want to clarify that I I did say that Patrick Kilpatrick was probably the one who got the most work afterward. But there was a cameo in this, apparently. I had to go back and look at the stills. And I don't see the resemblance. I don't either. It's not Marissa Tomei. No way. It's not a Marissa. Okay, because that's what everyone's saying that Marissa Tomei is in this movie. Where? What part? She the the Toxic Avenger is in the Help Club. She's got like a blue towel on. She comes out of the shower and she screams and runs away. This is yeah. Where this is the reveal to uh, Julie, where he calls her a murderer. This is when so Uh, when Julie he corners Julie and that that scene when he call corners her in the Health Club. So it's fairly in the beginning ish of the movie, right? Is that the scene you're talking about? There's a girl that comes out. Of the it's shower. It's the middle to end. And it's no. the middle to end. Oh. I mean, I remember that scene though, because he's in the he's in the locker room, right? Right. He comes up from the underneath the bench. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know. I, I thought that was like earlier. But that scene, so there's there is a girl that comes out of the shower and sees him and screams. Yeah. And he's like he kind of covers his face. I don't know that he, mm-hmm. he she's putting deodorant on <laughs> or something. She's Correct. like spraying her armpits. Yeah, that's definitely not Marissa Tomei. Do people Thank think you. that? Okay. There's no I don't, way. I don't see it either. Yeah, I, I I look at the face. I'm like, there's no way. It's not. It I, can't be. I don't think it is either. Unless she decided to pull a Renee Zellweger and completely change her face. I sincerely doubt that. Yeah, I, I don't think so. Yeah, I didn't I mean, even know that was a thing. I don't see that being possible. And it's no. just, it's not her. No way. So. That's funny. I didn't know that was a thing that people thought. Yeah. She's, she's starting, they say, oh, Marissa Tomei, uncredited first appearance. It's like, no, I don't see it. I don't think so. Okay, so um, I guess we normally do numbers, but I think Terry already mentioned you know what the budget is on this. Yeah, it's five hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. Do you want to take a guess at what the box office was? Well, I would, but I I saw it, so okay. I don't want to. Yeah, sorry, because <laughs> I looked at the budget and literally right underneath it, it said. But I, ha- I just looked it up and it said the budget was five hundred thousand. I was th- and I was that's so impressive. You know, wow, that's crazy. And right underneath it, it said what it made, and it was eight hundred thousand. So they actually didn't lose money on this movie, which is pretty cool. Which I'm surprised. I have on good accord that the film actually made Trauma fifty million. Wow! With worldwide, okay, okay. I mean, with the first box office, are you talking about with to date with DVD sales and licensing and all that? Up until nineteen ninety eight, when I was an intern there, when I was helping with. Uh, accounting, just doing some numbers for them. Um, say, total total revenue from the first Toxic Avenger film up until that point was fifty million. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. So that was their biggest hit. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there was. It, it it must have had several runs in the box office. It must have had you know a toy lines and and there was a cartoon series growing up. I remember. It was mm-hmm. uh, um, there was I don't remember. Yeah, that. it was called something different. It was called it wasn't Toxic Crusaders. Toxic Crusaders, yeah. And there was an eleven it. issue comic released by Marvel in ninety one, which I did not know. I did see that there was that it was a comic, and I get they did it obviously after, but I didn't know that. I had no idea that they had made it into a comic. That's pretty. It was pretty cool. So you know, if you are an actor, you're probably kicking yourself that you didn't take. Uh, a back end percentage as opposed to upfront salary, because I'm sure Lloyd 
would have been fine with that, or maybe not. I don't know. Nope. No. Okay. <laughs> you got paid your fee, and that was it. Okay. Um, Rotten Tomatoes. Care to guess what the Rotten Tomato scores are? Oh, I'm gonna God. guess 67. We do. That's... Okay. Is that for the critics or for the audience? Yeah. Critics. Uh, critics. Okay. It's really hard because this movie is there. It's so. It's it's such a cult favorite, and it's. It's so uh, it's just stood the test of time and people are still watching it and talking about it. So it's kind of hard. I mean, for the critics, I'm going to say, oh, I hate to do this. I don't like to do like half. Like, So I'm going to say I say 55 percent for critics. 55. OK. And audience, I want to say like 65. OK, so Lou is right on 68 percent tomato meter for critics. Oh, wow. Uh, and you were very close on audience score, 63% audience score. Okay. So very close. Not much disparity between the the critics and the audience on this. No, there's not. That's actually really interesting. I knew it couldn't have been too bad. You know, like, it's people love this movie. And I have, oh, we'll get to that when we do our score, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> I, um, okay. You get me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, let's, let's talk about scores then. We do score on overall enjoyment as well as the cheese factor. I'll go first, if that's all right. Go for it. So my overall enjoyment of this movie, I'm going to put fairly low, actually. I'm going to put this at a three for my overall enjoyment. <laughs> oh, on a scale of one to, uh, uh, one one to, to five ten. or one to ten? One to ten. ten. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Adam uh, was a fan. <laughs> um, I no, you know what it is? It's I'm not the audience for it. I do appreciate that it that there are people out there who like it and I think it's good for them. Um, it just wasn't something that I would choose to watch if I had an hour and a half to kill. But cheese, I actually thought this was a very cheesy movie. I'm gonna put this on like a nine on the cheese factor. Would you like to go next, Lou? On a scale of one to ten, this film gets an eleven from me. <laughs> on a scale of one to ten for Cheese Factor, a one million. No. <laughs> ten and ten. Yeah. Ten and ten. Okay. Um, for enjoyment, I'm going to give it like a six. I actually did enjoy it. I thought it was definitely cheesy, definitely campy, pretty ridiculous. But I mean, that's what we do here. You know, this is the this is what we do. We we watch movies like that and talk about them because there's something endearing about cheesy you know about movies being like this but i did like it i actually was i at first was watching i was like oh god what am i doing like when (laughs) the next hour and a half is going to be hell and it went so fast and i was finding myself you know rooting for for melvin and getting upset you know getting you know excited when like bad people are being killed and stuff so i'm gonna have to give it a six and i'm gonna go with adam i i think definitely a nine for cheesiness it's it's pretty damn cheesy in all the in the best possible way though it really is yeah, you know, as far, as far as enjoyability, like I think a lot of, to me at least, what makes this movie interesting is the production, right? The low budget, how much production value they were able to squeeze out of it, um, the history, the legacy. But if this movie had none of that, I just don't know. I just um, standing on its own, I just I don't I don't have a big reverence for it. Yeah, fair enough. That's okay. And it's not for everyone. I think a lot of people, I'm not really a huge fan of trauma films myself, just in general. I happen to enjoy this one because I thought, I just thought Toxie or whatever, Melvin is just super adorable. I think he's really cute. And I just think he's sweet and I like him. But um, other trauma films I've seen, I, I can't really even get past, get through them. It's too, it's too much. Sorry. Well, Lou. we don't have to talk about them. No, it's fine. <laughs> it's a very acquired taste. Yeah. You know, you watch a trauma film, 
you may love it, you may hate it, but you'll never forget it. No, definitely. So. <laughs> That's true. That's why I even said in the beginning, I said, if I had seen this movie, I would definitely remember. You don't forget movies like that. So, right. Well, I can't thank you guys enough for welcoming me onto this episode of Just a Cheese, please, to talk about one of my favorite films from the 80s. Well, one of my favorite films in general. Um, I'm just a goofy guy who loves crazy stuff. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, it's very... Um, it's it's very kind of you guys to uh, allow me to come on board and talk to it, uh, talk about it. You know, Tara, I've known you for for a, such a long time, and you know, you're one of my dearest and nearest. And you know, thank you, Adam. Very happy that both of you guys are on board with Ratsaw Review Network. And you know, thank you. Welcome me with open arms. Of thank course. you so much. It's been a pleasure, and we loved having you. And uh, you sort of gave us a little something else that we don't normally do, you know. So that was it's always fun to sort of branch out a little bit, do a little something different. So awesome, it's been awesome. Yeah, do you want to do you want to go ahead and plug any of your other stuff going on? Sure, uh, just uh, you know, check out the Rat Side Review Network over at ratsidereview.com. Please like and subscribe and comment on our content available on all streaming media platforms and YouTube. And also check out my podcast, the Music is Life podcast, uh, over at musicislifepodcast.com. That's really it. Please continue to support Just a Cheese, please, because um, Adam and Tara are wonderful, wonderful people, and they do a great podcast. I was a fan of it before they jumped on Ratside Review Network. And I'm really happy that the high supreme muckety muck of Ratside Review, Wayne Noon, <laughs> was kind enough to say, hey, why don't you guys jump on board? So we're one big, crazy, happy, dysfunctional family. Absolutely. Here, so. we're, we're glad to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Have a wonderful night. All right. Take care now. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone. Stay fresh, cheese bags. I was waiting for you to say that. And the next time you're in danger or in need of help, Look to the horizon and maybe, just maybe, the Toxic Avenger will be there. Podcast brought to you by Anchor.fm and Ratsad Review. Check out the other shows on Ratsad Review, including Beyond Bushido, Old Man Metals Musings, The Right Opinion, The Vieira Vault, The Timo Toki Podcast, The BS Sessions with Mark and Jerry, Just the Cheese Please, and The Friday Night Party with the Great Harry Barnett and Evie. Graphics by Rocky Baia. For commissions, find them on Twitter at R-O-C-K-Y-B-A-I-A. Intro and outro music for the show is Lose Control by The Rebel Medium, written by Jacqueline Guitard, Ernest Leyuk, and Lou Mavs. If you'd like to donate to the channel, please donate to our PayPal at musicislifepodcast at gmail.com. If you're in a band and you want us to review your music, then contact us at Maps at musicislifepodcast.com. Special thanks to Wayne Noon and Greg Noggle. With much love and gratitude to Aaron, Anna, and Aloysius. For more information, check out www.musicislifepodcast.com. And don't forget to check out www.ratsireview.com. Remember, all art is valid. Thanks for listening. Cheers. <laughs>